Welcome to Gaming Fix. I'm Frank. And I'm Heather. And this weekend, uh, the 12th and 13th, I went to uh, Indicate, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And uh, it was a really great time. Uh, it was held at Santa Monica Community College and uh, it, here in California, and it was a really great time, had a lot of fun. But before I get to all that, how did you get your game on, Heather? All right. Well, I didn't play a whole lot of games this uh, week. Um, unfortunately, I have been busy with taking midterms, and uh, I just had a class end um, for the nine-week session, the first nine-week session, and now I'm starting possibly two more. I know at least one more. So I've been really busy, um, but I did get to play a little bit of Word Trip, and I played um, some Pokemon Go. Um, not a whole lot, mind you. Did you catch anything cool? No, I didn't actually catch anything. Uh, I played at work, um, and I know that sounds weird to say, oh, yeah, I'm playing games at work or anything like that. Right, but, like, in the security game, it's it's kind of weird because there's a lot of downtime, and if your work will let you, then, you know, especially, like, when you go on patrols or something like that, it's not really too big of a deal. Right, and that's primarily what it, the thinking was. Normally, if I'm playing at work, I will do um, patrols and, and do have my Pokemon go app going at the same time um i've done that in the past at other uh, other security jobs i've been at um now i'm not encouraging other security guards to do that because i know that's not exactly you know something that the company wants you to go ahead and do as a matter of fact if my company heard that i was doing that they'd probably pull me from my position so <laughs> right and like i know mine they would really be too happy um actually they would be real frowny faced about the whole thing um especially since you know i'm watching for people which is a big difference um sometimes with with night positions and stuff you're not really watching for people so much as like you're if someone suddenly awake. showed up or something like that you'd be you'd be surprised but you know you would totally if you had your nose in a pokemon screen and someone just appears when there no one is there trust me it's it's r- real obvious <laughs> it's, that too yeah you're not going to be like, oh, I, I didn't expect anybody. I was playing Pokemon. No, you're, I mean, you suddenly hear a door open when you're in a warehouse that's completely empty and it you're going to register that. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's what it is. It's, uh, so you didn't find anything. Uh, so where are you in Word Trip? Uh, as far as Word Trip, I am 
let's see. I'm pulling up Word Trip right now on my phone. Um, one of the puzzles was solved for me already when I went back into it. So. That's a new thing that Word Trip is doing. Yeah, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, it's basically, it's kind of like a, it's not a timer, but it is a timer where basically if you take too long on Word Trip, it just finishes your word. Right. So if you've been away from your game for like, say, three days, it's like suddenly you're like, oh yeah, you're done, by the way, <laughs> and no points for you. And you're like, but I, I'm pretty good at this game. It's not cool. So apparently I'm on number 34 on the highway. I don't know what that means. It used to actually, I don't know if they've updated the app or something or, or what. It seems like they have because there's new uh, features that I'm, I'm not really familiar with. Um, but it looked like and it's... And you're at 17.19% on the... Yes. So, okay. That's cool. But my wisdom is 523 right now. And... Uh, yeah, I'm sitting at number 134 on the road here. That's cool. Um, and I have about three words to go on my this last puzzle that I'm trying to solve. Nice, so nice. That's cool. Um, but as far as, like, Pokemon Go, I'm really, I kind of want to get back into it. I'd like to start fighting in the gyms and, and uh, going on raids, but of course, you know, you got to plan. It's almost like you have to plan for that. You can't be spontaneous with it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. Um, I, a friend of mine was saying something like there was a raid and it was like right next to them and they were like, I'm doing it right now. It's going to be awesome right there. And they were really excited about that. Um, well, good luck to them. I hope they made it through their raid because sometimes a lot of these raids you can't do by yourself. Right, but you still get your point for your for your evolution challenge, I guess. That's true. It's like I went on a raid and I lost. I lost so bad. I All lost my Pokemon. so hard. I lost Some of them are missing feet. It's terrible. I lost my shorts and Pokemon. Oh, so. actually, <laughs> that reminds me while we're here. Cause why not? I going to do something a little strange. But since I remembered. I picked up a hat for you. A hat? A Pokemon. Yeah, it's a Pokemon, a Pokemon with a hat. hat. A Pokemon with a hat. What kind of Pokemon is it? It's a Pikachu with a hat. <gasps> a Pikachu with a hat. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so we're going to trade right now? Yeah, I was going to set up a trade right now. So oh, while cool, we're sitting cool, here cool. talking. All right. All right. So uh, how else did you get anything else happen game-wise? Uh, game-wise, no, but I'm... I, I've been itching to play some fighting games, so I'm probably going to re-download uh, Marvel, um, uh, Cap, uh, Marvel Champions and uh, play on that for a little bit, and uh, I'll give you guys an update on that when, uh, next week. Sounds good. Ooh, I'm a tell. I know. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, everybody. Just ended up with a call. Um, I think that was my ADR calling, too. I'll have to check that out in a minute um, for the ADR, ADR classes I was trying to take for mediation. There's some useful information. You, I don't know if you wanted to know or not. Anyway, uh, as far as how I got my game on, uh, I don't know. Give me a number because that's only fair. Just give me a number of how many games I can bring up <laughs> because I did go to a convention that there was a lot of gaming, so just... All right, let, let's keep it to the top three. There we go. 
I, I figured you'd go with three. All right. So I guess if I discuss it here, I won't discuss it again, or maybe I will if it's pertinent. I don't well, know. I Hope, 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 hopefully least, we don't get it repeated, but we might. I hope Goodness. you at least mention it on the website. Well, no, I will. But so the one game that I really, really enjoyed and really was liked was this one game called... Uh, it's put out by Dang Studios, and it's a... So how do you define a role-playing game to you? Like, what what would you say is a role-playing game? Uh, that depends on whether or not it's pen and pencil and paper, or if it's... Uh, you know, okay, or well, is like... It just if, like the hardcore... If it's on a computer, what, what makes it a role-playing game? Um, the ability to make the choices, have like a set of choices that you can choose between and then uh the ability to customize your character in a specific way uh and the ability to maximize or specialize (coughs) abilities that your character gets um throughout the game okay so i think that this game is counts as a role-playing game but some people might not but I felt immediately immersed in the whole concept of it. Um, so what's amazing about it is, imagine you're, you're sitting there, the computer looks just like your computer at home. Yeah. Um, you have windows up, and the first window is basically a chat window, and they're explaining to you the mission. And the mission is is you're supposed to go into um, Smelcor and you're supposed to retrieve a briefcase from uh, the manager there, okay? Uh-huh. And then what happens is they're like, okay, cool, and go. And then comes up the command prompts with the codes for the, the command prompts. And... Like information. From those command prompts, you then get, uh, and then you're in, um, I believe they start you off. I can't remember if they started me off or if I had to figure it out. I'm not sure. Um, You're in another window where you have to put in a telephone number. It's like freak, um, parentheses, a phone number parentheses and then suddenly you're in somebody else's chats and you're looking at their chat trying to figure out what they said because you're looking for passcodes it was a complete immersive game where you are you were definitely a hacker and you are trying to move through this um, company hmm. it was a fantastic game I really really enjoyed it um, and I'm going to be reviewing it on the site because I have the, because they gave me the review stuff to review it, and I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, I can't, I, I know the name of the um, company is Dang, but I'm not sure if it's a different name for the, uh, the game. I'll have to get that back to you guys. The next game I played is... This is another one where, I guess I wouldn't call it an RPG, but imagine, okay. So, you know how we play Pokemon? Yeah. Okay. 
So imagine you're playing Pokemon in the way that you... But instead of Pokemon, you're in a maze. Okay? So you okay. take your phone, you aim it down, and you can see the maze that you're at. And what happens is you're trying to avoid laser beams that will kill you. Ooh. And you're walking tiles. I thought this game was amazing. It's called... Ma uh, laser Mazer. And it was really a good time. The only catch is it's uh, really cheap available now. It's only like $4.99 on um, Play Store. But there's only 20 operating systems right or 20 phones right now that can run it because it requires some very expensive tech hmm. under the hood. You know, it takes some pretty, pretty robust hardware. So it sounds kind of like uh, the floor is lava, but with lasers. Well, no, it's it's more like it's almost like you're in a platformer. Because you walk through the thing. Like, I remember I walked through the thing. I walked through the lasers. You have, to, I actually had to run at a certain point because the lasers do that thing where they, um, you know, they're up and then they go back down and they go up like in a pattern. So you have to move fast enough, just mm -hmm. like if you had to move Mario through, but it's you. Yeah. And then um, I went to a platform. I had to push a button to move the um, the platforms around. It was really fun. It was a fun game. It was kind of a... I enjoyed that one. That was pretty cool. So that sounds more like a platformer than an RPG like you were saying. No, no. This wasn't... this. The game I was talking about, I would say, is an RPG because it's immersive. This game is definitely more of a platformer. Okay. Or it's it's an ARG. It's basically... It's the same... Or it's an AR game, you know, where it's an alternative reality you know, game, but I thought it was really cool. Um, and then the last game that I th thought of, oh man, I want to, I'm trying to decide if I want to talk about that separately. Yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it because I thought it was a fun game. The last game that I really want to talk about or thought was really cool was, it's a real simple game. It's called blindfold now blindfold has very simple it's so simple that i'm probably going to bring this to strategicon and i'm going to bring it with the uh with the author's um you know knowledge and everything because he'll probably be able to send me the cards so the game is so simple that the guy feels bad about selling it so they're not selling it because it's it's a very simple concept, but it's really fun and it's really easy and it only takes like three rounds. So it's the kind of game where like you could just bust it out. You could play like mini rounds or you could just do one or whatever. Mm -hmm. So blindfold is very simple. There's four cards that are drawn from a pile. Each one has what you can do. And it's fold, cut, unfold, or um, not cut, but tear. Or um, I can't think of the other one. Um, is it flip? Might be flip. Um, and so basically, what it is is you have to you put the blindfold on. You have to draw a shape. So the idea is it's all about holding the most space on the paper. Okay. There's paper and pens. All right. Mm-hmm. And you put the blindfold on, you write on the, you come up with your four-letter word, whatever four-letter word you want. Mm-hmm. 
and then you write that down in the shape that the uh, that the that if it's a fold or if it's a a tear or whatever it is, it'll have a shape. That's the shape you have to write your word in. So you write your word in the shape with a colored pencil, and you do it blindfolded. Okay. And then the next person tries. Now, there's a possibility that they could end up writing over that word, and if they do, then that word doesn't count anymore. Also, you can make the mistake of not closing up your shape right, or you can put your word not in your shape, or there's all kinds of things that will happen because you're blindfolded. Right. It was it was fun. It was a good time. Hmm. Doesn't appeal to you? I probably would have to play it and then be, figure out figure out if I liked it or not. No, I get it you. Sound, it sounds so rudimentary rudimentary that I'm like, I don't see the point in that. What's the objective? But yeah, the objective is just holding the paper. Hmm. It's kind of fun. I I enjoyed it. Okay. All right. So that is what I did. So I'm guessing we're going to go into, uh, I know you have some things that you wanted to share. So yes, I do. Won't you share one of those things since, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot of talk about Indicade. I do not know how long this episode is. And uh, for radio play, it'll be the standard um, hour. If it's super long, then it'll probably be played in two different um, parts. But uh We'll we'll announce that before it airs. All right. So, uh, Frank, yeah. have you ever used cheat codes in any of your games before, or you know, been offered cheat codes for a game um, that you played before that you like? Um. No. No, that would be wrong. I just I used the game genie, but no cheat codes. Game genie? Is that like a cheat code? It just rewrites the program so you can, you know, put codes in that will move it around or something like that. Ooh, dubious. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had, that's how I finished Zelda because Zelda doesn't. So I gave myself um, immunity so that it would do. Basically, you could take no damage. So you just keep going and doing the puzzles because the puzzles are hard enough without getting killed every five minutes. <laughs> anyway. The reason why I ask is because apparently Epic Games is suing for a Fortnite YouTuber for promoting and selling cheat codes. What's the damages? I mean, being an aspiring attorney, I'm curious. Uh, well, the damages... I'm not really sure, but it says that this guy has over 1.7 million subscribers... And he broke the Digital Millennium Copyrights Act by posting videos of himself and occasionally a, a colleague of his that um, cheating at Fortnite using illegal mods, then hawking them to viewers. So um, he was asked to take down the videos, but he refused, saying he didn't see an issue with what he was doing and sa said that others were doing the same thing. Um that's not going to cut the mustard, buddy. <laughs> Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean you should do it, too. Has YouTube decided to shut it down yet? You know, that's a good question. I haven't heard anything from YouTube's end. 
Yeah, because, I mean, you would think, right? I mean, right? obviously, <laughs> it's like something illegal is happening uh, through your program, then you do have some have some ownership. Right. I'm surprised Epic Games hasn't asked YouTube to take it down for them. I guess that it's, you know, because it's right. user-friendly. Right, and Epic Games could add Google to their lawsuit. Right. and Just that, be that's... like, yeah, you're helping to purvey. <laughs> wow. Uh not that we're trying to uh, get Google sued or anything like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm just saying it's like uh, it, it, it's, it could happen. You know, I mean, it's they're definitely a deeper pocket, I'm guessing, than this dude. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it, it, it's one of the most popular games out there right now, Fortnite. And, and people are playing this game like crazy. I, I I haven't played it yet. I so I don't know what all the hype's all about. But this is one of the top grossing, one of the top games out there in the world, right? In the world, so Epic has every incentive or every reason to want to keep this game from being used in, inappropriately or letting people cheat in the game. And I think that's fair. I think that's you know a fair response for Epic Games to have. And it's well, not like, how much money is he making? I guess that's the question. Mm, that's a good question. The article doesn't state how much he's actually making off of this. I guess I should have done a little more research. Well, it's just it's a question. I mean, because and like he's definitely got the exposure. I get that, and like that he's letting people know about these games. But I don't know. It's like cheat codes have always been within the game. Um. I know there's been some in-game responses to piracy. I mean, I would think maybe Fortnite could create some in-game responses to that code. Well, what they've already done, in, according to the article, is uh, they've um, gone with another company to uh, 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 the Finland-based company, Camu, for uh, acquiring an entirely anti-cheat company. So... Um, they, uh, they're trying to, they're really working their best. They're doing their best to make sure that there's not going to be any cheating going on in this game. And they want to make sure that they're doing it. They're doing their, uh, their utmost to make sure that it's happening. So that's pretty much what I have for that. Um, let's see now. Uh, I did have a PSA for you guys too. For any PS4, PS4 users, uh, please beware. A, uh, a public service announcement. Okay. Yes, a PSA for PS4 users. Okay. <laughs> um, so players are allegedly having their consoles crash by malicious messages. Um, the messages, uh, from what it looks like, is just a box with a question mark inside of it. For, um, oh, so like a Mario Brothers box? Yeah, Mario Brothers box. Great. So if you see this message, it's probably already too late. <laughs> it's it, your your console's gonna crash, and the best way to um, one of the best ways to fix that is to go ahead and do a full um, manufacturer reset. Uh, that's what some some players have been going through and doing, and they've been experiencing. But um, for anyone who hasn't received that message yet, the easiest solution or to this problem is um, if you haven't been hit by the messages yet, remove the ability for random users to send you a message uh, by going to the main menu tab on the PS4 home button screen. 
uh, up on the D-pad um, and then go to the settings button, then head to account management, the one where your profile picture um, is next to it, uh, then go to privacy settings, then enter your PSN password as normal, uh, go to personal info, and then go to messages. Uh, in the top, in the drop down menu, select either friends only or um, if you trust everyone in your friends list, then, you know, not to send you this kind of message or anything like that, then um, you're okay. Just select friends only for that. But if you don't trust anybody, you're paranoid like I am, you know, because, <laughs> you know, these are expensive pieces of hardware and equipment. You don't want your, 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 your beloved and treasured console getting crashed by some, you know, dirt bag out there who does, doesn't have anything better to do. So, um... I would highly recommend just going ahead and saying no one to be extra sure that, you know, select no one and to that you want to have messages sent to you. Uh, and that should go with it should go without saying, but it has to be said anyway, because some people don't have what I like to call common sense. Um, don't accept friend requests from people you don't know for the time being or really anyone ever. Um, and. If you feel that there are some users who are um, abusing this or you, you hear or anything like that, that anyone is out there providing people with these malicious, malicious messages, report it, you know. Or if you get a malicious message, report it. You know, it, it helps. Um, it, even if, you know, you feel like they didn't solve the, the, the actual problem, it's, it's giving the P Sony the ability to track and measure how this issue is being is is actually affecting the community so it's important to make sure that you report these things and so that sony can address it in a better manner uh, so that's pretty much it for my PSA. <laughs> so beware PS4 users. Don't accept friend requests from people you don't know. Um, don't accept messages from people you don't know. And yeah, happy gaming. All right. Well, that's always a good. That's always a good rule of thumb. Um, I don't really go on to the online stuff as much, so I don't have that much of a problem with that. But you know, that's definitely a good idea. Obviously, you know, if you don't know. Who it is, if they've got, you know, they said that you won the lottery, you probably didn't, you know. Mm. Same kind of messages as we all know. Unfortunately, there's scammers everywhere. Um, yeah. People that just want to destroy your hardware for kicks. I don't really understand it. Never have. Mm -hmm. um, I understand, you know, wanting to, I don't know, like, understand a system. Like, I, I, I totally get that and trying to learn and trying to really... Uh, and just, you know, that kind of mastery that it takes to be a hacker, but I don't understand the whole wanting to destroy things just because. You know, I, I it's funny, too, because when I saw the movie Hackers with uh, Angelina Jolie and that other dude, I don't know his name. <laughs> it, I think it was a 1995 movie, but, um, yeah, I saw that movie Hackers, and I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a hacker. <laughs> I always thought it Hack was so Hack the planet. Cool. Yeah. Hack the planet. Yeah. Hack. The planet. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was interesting because you had all the CGI that, you know, doesn't happen when you're hacking. It's, it's, uh, if you actually saw hackers, it'd be basically a dude eating a sandwich and you'd be looking and there'd be code on the screen and it'd be 
especially back then, like green and green and monochrome. <laughs> right, it'd be pretty boring. Be like some 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 computer nerd sitting in at his desk, crying for his mom to bring him some more <laughs> bugles or something. Maybe, <laughs> maybe smoking a cigarette or something here yeah. and there, just typing away. Um, that'd be about it. And they'd be like, "Oh, I found this other thing. Cool, you know." It'd be interesting to take hackers and just bring it back down. But I got to say, um, one thing that I do like is halt and catch fire. And that's kind of, it, it's like hackers then becoming um, internet executives. And it's kind of talking about the 80s and that whole thing. And they do that pretty good without the CGI effects. So I would definitely recommend that if you're going to kind of find out more about that lifestyle or whatever. So, and it's, I think it's more realistic for sure. Except for, you know, like the big expensive houses and stuff. But, I mean, that probably happened in the 80s with, like, some of the dot-com booms and stuff. So, do you have anything else? I am out of, um, well, I'm out of options. Are you out of things? Yes, I'm out right. of things. All right. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about a few things. Uh, I'm going to basically just talk about Indicate and my experience there as best I can. Just all the things that we saw. Um, there's a lot of pictures that are coming up on the site on GamingFix.com. Um, I think I took like, I don't know. It feels like there was 80 pictures. I don't know. Um, but, uh, there was a lot of different, uh, events. One thing that's really cool about Indiecade is that it is, it, I guess you'd say mainly that it is con console, computer, PC, and, and iOS, but there is definitely here and there, uh, physical board, um, and uh, card and uh, role-playing games and pretty much it's it's a convention where you will see all types of games. They're just all independent games, so it's mm. kind of interesting. Like uh, like the paper game that I was talking about. That's not for your console. That's you take a piece of paper. You're actually ripping the pieces off. You're using you know actual colored pencils and a blindfold. So. Um, it, yeah, it's like there's games like that. Um, I went to uh, New York. I can only talk about this a little bit. It's weird. Okay, so for some reason, I don't know why, but New York, um, the New York, I can't think what they're called, the, but the the New York Art School, I want to say, something like that. And we'll, we'll correct this if we need to um, next week. But uh, the... One of oh I know N NYU I'm sorry anyway uh, NYU they have a they have a really known film department but they also have a very big games department and one of the professors created a game have you ever heard of a cons consentical what consentical no I'd remember a name like that <laughs> okay so consentical is about uh trying to help a human and her tentacle lover <laughs> by um, by helping them and making sure that they're in the most consensual relationship. Uh, this sounds like a game for adults. <laughs> it's for adults, but it's also very um, it's it's very it's it was uh designed before the me too movement actually but the whole idea is is 
is that it's designed for uh, to encourage consent and that everything can be loving and consensual at the same time. So it's kind of a cool idea. Um, I had heard about it and never actually seen it, but now that I've seen the cards and seen seen the little um, tokens and stuff, it's it, it was interesting. Hmm. Um, it was one of the more interesting things I saw. Also at the same booth, they had a... I don't even know if I can talk about that. I, all I can say is it took place in a restroom, and the whole idea was um, consensual sex when police are watching you with the possibility of watching you or something along those lines. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, we're done with this. Anyway, <laughs> that's that was that one. It was it's it's kind of strange. Um, Don't spring stuff like that on me in the show. I'm just throwing through a loop right now. I know. Well, we'll th- when you go on the website, you'll probably see the picture, and we'll try and explain it as best we can. <laughs> um, but we're probably not going to talk about it on air. All right. So the other thing that they had was they had um, something very similar to um, Contentacle. This one was with a... Um, a monster, you're a witch, you summon the monster, and you're supposed to have an awkward uh, consensual time. So everything what? is supposed to be... What is with these <laughs> consensual games? I, I mean, don't uh, get right, me right, wrong. Out, out of New York, too, for some reason. Out of out of NYU. <laughs> I was like, why? Don't why get me that's, wrong. I don't know if they... You know, there's got to be more people doing other things at NYU. So I'm guessing somebody wanted it to be, they wanted a certain theme when they uh, decided to present at Indicate or something. I don't know. But I played I played through the game. It was nice. Um, you meet this nice lava demon and you're trying to, you summon him and you've gone out with him and you talk about like the eggs he has at home because apparently he had he had a relationship that it broke up or something like that, but everything's good. And there's a situation where basically, you know, it's, it's a text-based game and I touched his horn and that was a no, no. And I was told that was a no, no. And he, he, I put in the right things and he's like, well, I got to go check with the babysitter. Well, I'll be honest. I didn't have an issue with the babysitter, but I, I just got to go. I'm sorry, but I've got to go. And that was, that was that. So that was kind of weird. It's kind of, Definitely felt awkward. They got awkward. I was like, okay. All right. Well, that happened. Uh, <laughs> she touched his horn. Okay. Yeah, so we don't we don't know what that is. And I we're didn't not, know lava uh, monsters had horns. Well they do, apparently. <laughs> it's a big demon that had horns and like it was kinda of like a dragon type thing, I guess. With like I don't know. Anyway, so then um after that I, it, one thing that was really, I, I don't want to say annoying, but I'll say different about Indicade is that because it was in Santa Monica City Call or Community College, the way that everything was broke down was kind of a pain. Like there was like three buildings and you didn't really know where everything was. So it was kind of hard to find things. Mm-hmm. So you had the nominees and the nominees were for uh, the best game of the year. And I don't know, I'm not really sure. I guess those were indicated votes, and then there was the audience votes, and then, like, you could vote on those. When I got there the first day, 
there was uh so i went in the wrong room like so we were able to go to, to the nominees room for like 30 extra minutes because we were media and i went in the wrong room because it wasn't clear so i went into the other uh, hall and there was games going i'm like okay this is cool and that's where I play a game called Knocked. And Knocked is a uh, it's a which way book um, that's on computer that you go in and you uh, pick or you you go in you pick like kind of what you want your Robin Hood to be, which is kind of interesting. So it's like um, all the different concepts of Robin Hood are kind of explored in this book. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then also that's where I found the guys from Restaurant Rivals, who I saw at Strategicon before. And that's where we got that uh, an interview from them, and we'll have that probably later in the show. Um, and But then what happened that was weird is I was sitting there, and I was like kind of trying, like trying to figure out what I was going to do. And somebody came and was like, "Hey, we gotta we gotta close all this stuff down because we're doing other things. Hmm. You know, clean cut, move down." I'm like, "Huh? It's weird." And then that's when I found out that I was in the wrong building. Ah. So um, after that, I went to. Um, I still didn't. I didn't see the nominees till I think the second day or late in the first day. I think after I had my lunch or something like that. It was it was it was pretty late till I saw the no- actually saw the nominees. Yeah. Also, they had flash games. Ooh. Uh, flash games were weird, uh, not weird, but they were different. Um, basically, they had like little bouncy rubber balls, mm-hmm. and you had to come up with your own game. Um, so everybody was like speed speed riding games mm-hmm. was the idea. So you had like different types of games using balls. Huh. So that was interesting. Um. And then after that, I went to the nominees, saw a lot of the different uh, nominees. Um, that's where we got games like, um, I'm trying to think for the nominees. Um, oh, there was like Okta, which will be brought in, Okta Controller. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Okta Controller? I have not. So Okta Controller is an NES controller that is uh, eight pads. What? Each pad has a control button on it. So if you're playing Tetris, you have to all play at the same time and kind of make your decisions. So like if somebody needs to push an A, that person needs to push an A, and you all have to work together towards that goal. So it's very much like a cooperative, but it's a cooperative with one controller. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was an interesting one. Um, uh, that's also where they had. Is that where they had late? No, that might not have been. I'm just trying to think, like where the nominees were specifically nominees, as opposed to games that I thought, wow, that's a really cool game. Oh, one thing that was a nominee, I believe, was uh, from Magpie Games, which is a tabletop role-playing games, um, and they're best known for uh, Last Great Great Hope, mm-hmm. which was, uh, it's a, uh, 
it's a dramatic game, uh, role-playing game based off of the uh, Earth. Basically, you're you're going up into space and something bad happens, and basically you have to decide and interact. I don't. Have you ever played one of those RPs? Yet? No, actually, I haven't. There's a role-playing uh, game system where basically it's very simple. It's like basically uh, you write down your name, you write down what the problem is, and you kind of write down your, uh, like, maybe a tool that you use or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically, it's a very simple way where it's, uh, there's a story and then you're interacting with the story, but it's not really about numbers and, and fighting. It's about more um, telling a story. Oh, I see. Well, Magpie Games, uh, their newest project is called Blackbeard's Bride. <laughs> and it is really, really cool. Um, it's The book is, is black with like the uh, gold filigree. And uh, they have... Um, like what looks like tarot cards and witches and warlocks and all kinds of stuff like that. Wow. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, what's the artwork look like? It's really beautiful. Um, their tarot cards were... Um, <clears throat> their tarot cards were just in a um, in an art show. Oh, so they're okay. really cool. Um, yeah, that does sound cool. Also... There was, and I'm trying, I'm just trying to remember like what the specific nominees were versus the other things um, that I really remember. I think one of the ones was a game. Am I boring you? No, I'm just tired. Only tired? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was up at f- till like 2, 3 in the morning. Oh. A lot of homework? No, just. Just up, watching stuff. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to get an energy drink or something later here. Sounds like a plan. Hmm. I'm trying to find any... Okay, well, I can't really find any of the uh, specific the nominee games, um, but... Some of the other games that we have were um, a lot of the other games were really cool. I already talked about the laser game. Uh, there was a puppet show game that was really bizarre and seems to make fun of the idea of like all these different type of controllers. So the puppets actually had a controller on their head that they would hit <laughs> every time they wanted to do something. Um, there was... Oh, there was a game, I think this was one of the nominees, called um, Distance. And it was designed as a game that you play with your friend from a long-distance relationship Mm -hmm. in order to stay in touch with them while you're playing the game. Interesting. There was another game. So when you think of a flight simulator, what do you think of? Mm, Generally tend to think of... uh NASA and uh, those games where, or those uh, simulations where you're put in space and there's things coming at you and like obstacles you have to go around or anything like that or something where 
you're put in a situation that's uh, dangerous and you have to have all types of uh, different type of ways to maneuver or have different materials or t- uh, equipment available right. to you in the simulation that you would utilize to right. solve a problem. Or like, or flying a plane. Yeah. Okay. So this was a flight simulator in which you are actually the passenger. No. And it is a flight real time from uh, New York to Rejevec, Denmark. And there are, uh, there's TV on the plane. There's a crossword puzzle that you can do. And a uh, in-flight magazine and um, earphones and basically anything that you would want while you're on the plane. And it's just being on the plane for six hours. Does it come with peanuts and, you know, that little bottle of alcohol they serve on the airplanes? No, I don't think so. I don't don't think so. It's not a real simulation. (laughs) I don't know. When I went to New York, we didn't didn't get any... uh, any you bottles? Alcohol. We got well, we got drinks. Well, we got we got juice, but I don't know. I never. We didn't think to ask for a beer, because it's not like they told the um. They didn't actually tell the the airplane don't give them beer. They've just been looking at us. It's like they got beer. They're not supposed to have beer. Mm. We're angry, and then it would come up at some point. So anyway, um, what else? Um. There were so many things. Oh, there was one, and I can't think of the name of it, but it was really cool, where basically you were a bug, and you, it was based off of, uh, I guess there's a moth that hides themselves uh, from predators, from birds. Mm-hmm. So the birds were red, and then you could change colors to your environment, and then the birds were trying to kill you, so you were trying to avoid the birds from killing you. Ah, uh-huh, I see. Um... I'm trying to think of any other... Oh, I played in an auction game that was pretty cool. It was all CGI, and it was an auction um, of the... I'm sorry, the the items were CGI, and you were given a number, and you were given what your um, character was working towards, Mm -hmm. and that's what you would do. So you were going... So, like, my character was trying to get a specific item that had uh, a very deadly poison and all the weapons. Mm. And so I was bidding on all the weapons and all the, um, and trying to get to the deadly poison. But I had this interview that's coming up pretty soon here from uh, Argentina. And so I had to uh, not um, finish the auction. And I wanted to apologize to them because it was a really cool game. Uh, but I did, I bought the Sword of Damocles, but I spent way too much money on it. Mm. I spent $22 million on it and only had $27 million and I needed to spend, I needed to get the uh, other object. But yeah, I had to bow out. But it was really cool. Um, I talked to somebody else about the auction later. He told me that his, his uh, job was to drop um, things on people. So basically to cause a rise in the auction. Mm. So if you've ever seen Pawn uh, uh, Storage Wars, his job was to be the Dave and, uh, you know, make things really high and then, you know, make people buy them. So that's... I was doing that a little bit too because, you know, fun. Hmm. 
It didn't say I couldn't. It just said what my goals were. So, you know, I came up with my own things I wanted to do. Um, I'm trying to, th- there was a lot of things that indicate, like, that's the thing. And, oh, one thing that, um, another game that I played was a beautiful, the backgrounds were so gorgeous, um, of almost a Metroid-like game. Yeah. But it was set in, um, it was set in, uh, in, uh, South America. Mm. And it was uh, it was a little guy with a puma mask, mm-hmm. and you're running through the um, the areas, and basically, but it worked just like Metroid, where you're jumping up and all that stuff. So it was a platformer. Oh, it's kind of okay. cool. There was a fighting game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a robot fighting game. Mm-hmm. That uh, there's pictures of on the site. Um, trying to think of all the different things. This is um. Uh, let's see. Oh, there's a really weird game where you're a unicorn and you put it on a, on a horn and you get under this like tent thing and you have to get the horn into the hole and there's like four different holes and you're trying to, that's how you're moving the game. I, I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Um, oh my God. All these overly sexual games. No, this wasn't sexual. This is a unicorn game. Well, you know the story behind unicorns, right? Uh, I. Why don't you save that for the site? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're gonna go and talk about loss of words now, because anyway, loss of words was a game where um, what it was is you would be playing a uh, story, basically different books, and you had to um, put the words in the right order. Or you had to, basically it had like a list of words and you had to pick where they went. And then on some cases they were, um, they were mixed around. I thought this game would be okay, but I was pretty surprised. It was actually a pretty fun game. It's pretty decent. It's almost like that word trip level. Hmm. Probably because I was doing really well at it. That's probably why I liked it. Some people would be like, it's kind of boring. It's like, no, I like it. It's a good game. But you know, anything you can do pretty good at, you're probably going to like and then um, we're g- probably going to have our another segment later um, once I do the the uh, review of Element. Elements is really important because Elements is the game that's from the Argentina distributor called Inca. And uh, with the um, with the um, interview that you'll hear fairly soon. I think we are probably going to uh, have our interviews. I can't think of anything else. Um, and I'm concerned about time. Um, I may... I don't know. Uh, I can't think of anything else about Indicate. I'll just say that it's, it was really a great experience. Uh, really good time. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that was uh, really stand out. Um, oh, one game that a lot of people were talking about was, uh, it's from also from NYU, was called um, Stress Something, and I can't, uh, I'm going to have to look that up. 
but that was a that was a pretty good game where basically it was your um you're getting more and more arms or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the or more hands so that you can do more basically. Yeah. So it's it's all about a work week basically. So that's that was the whole idea is like it was like a realistic work week and having to deal with that and like your boss and all that fun stuff, you know. Again, it's one of those things where I'm like, man, one thing I don't necessarily want to do is when I d- during my downtime is is do something that's like work related, work related, or feels like like work. like work, yeah. But um, so here is the interview with. I'm sorry, I'm just looking for her name. Here is the interview with. Oh, you know what? It's in my pocket. The interview with. Uh, this is a really good interview. This is. Um, so I, I found out a lot about this woman, Elizabeth Olson. Uh, she's the marketing director for Inca Games, and Inca is the one that's the Argentina um, incubator. That's working really hard to get uh, independent games out in, in uh, that country. And Elizabeth, actually, one of the things that she started out in is, and, you know, I really f- felt some kinship with this. She started out as the, uh, the one of the creators or the creator, I'm not sure, of uh, Game Informer. And uh, she, when um, GameStop was called Land. So, without further ado... Here's that interview, and then right after that, we will have the interview uh, where we're talking about IndieCade and having a good time with, uh, with uh, I keep messing up his name, and I mess it up in the interview too, so let's make sure I have it here. That's with, uh, oh, because he doesn't have a name on his thing. He just has like a QR code. Maybe he has it. Oh, with uh, Rob Cho. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. With Rob Chu. It's the same exact mistake. Okay. Anyway, um, enjoy these interviews. And uh, we'll be back. And this is 19. Um, so I don't know. Are we going to do something crazy for thir- for 20 or want to wait till 25? What do you think? Hmm. Maybe we should wait till twenty five. Maybe I don't know. Do you think we'll we'll be um, we'll have game day around twenty five? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll see. We should talk about that too. Oh, I forgot to talk about tiny trees. Well, anyway, um, you know, I think we'll probably talk about some more Indiecade next uh, next time as well. So, uh, go on the site. There'll be lots of stuff on Indiecade. Um, all the stuff that I didn't mention. Um, because I'm going to be tracking it down through business cards and stuff, so you'll be able to see it a little bit better. Um, just got back. So, yeah. And this is Gaming Fix. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, s- stay tuned for the interview. Um, your name? My name is Elizabeth Olson, and I am the marketing director for Inca Games. Inca Games, which is based in Buenos Aires, is the first incubator and publisher focused on 
indie games out of Spanish-speaking Latin America. They have their own internal studios, development studios, called Sixth Vowel, which is the largest development studio in Buenos Aires and Argentina. And then we incubate other games. We curate and incubate from other developers. So here at the show, we're also representing a game by Team Wazoo, which is called Shadow Brawlers, which is a four-player local stealth brawler. And then we have a classic point-and-click graphic adventure that Lucy tells the story of the history of the tango, and that's by a team called Galito Games. And we are the first publisher recognized by the Argentine government that works with them to get one-to-one -one matching dollars to help pay for, uh, for development costs. And then we also work with the Ministry of Education to help improve the formal games programs uh, to make them better in line with what the industry needs and with international standards. And so we are working uh, as a company to foster the entire ecosystem in the Spanish-speaking Latin American region because there are some specific challenges uh, with game development and the game market in general coming out of that area. For one, uh, about 30 to 35% of gamers cannot buy games digitally because they don't have credit cards. And games are very, very expensive for them. And so they need to be able to pay either direct from bank, through their uh, phone provider, or in installments. And so we are working to try and address that to reintroduce that 30 to 35% that's been underserved and shut out. Um, there aren't a lot of formal games programs, and so there's a great deal of people that are self-taught. Just in Argentina alone, there's over 350 uh, independent dev studios, and they all have wonderful ideas and great artists and great animators and great programmers, but they don't have the expertise uh, on the production side on how to finish a game, how to be more efficient. They don't have a lot of the connections to resources that we have here and they don't have the ability to market and bring a game to market. So those are some of the solutions we're trying to solve. All right, so just curious, how did you end up in Argentina as uh, working in this particular? So I'm actually based in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, the team, the whole rest of the company is, uh, we have a director in the Netherlands and the rest of the company is in Buenos Aires. Um, the way the entire thing started was uh, Javier Entelman, who's our CEO, is a writer, a well-known writer down there who has written books and film and loves to play games and played games with his friends. And so he got together with three other friends and colleagues that he had a band with and they had played games together and they started Sixth Fowl as a development studio and they were decided to make a game based on one of his huge IPs called Element Space. And the game now is two years in development, has a team of about 50 to 60 people, and so far a budget of about $1.8 million, which is huge for Latin America. To our knowledge, the biggest title um, to be solely conceived and developed in Latin America. And uh, that game just went into pre-sale this week and will be out before the end of the year. Okay. Um. And the way they found me was just through industry channels. They work with a, some production consultants that formerly worked for Sony in their Latin American group. 
and that travel down and advise a number of uh, indie studios in Latin America. And they had been working with Sixth Vowel and kind of bonded. And the team decided that because they had learned so much in overcoming a lot of these challenges, they wanted to be able to share that knowledge with other indie game studios. So Inca Games was born then as the incubator and publisher. And they went out and looked at over 180 some odd titles to find the two other titles that we have with us right now. And they're getting ready to curate the next round of incubated titles. And so uh, Elements is an RPG? Or is so it a- Element Space is a squad-based tactical RPG. Sort of think of it like XCOM meets Mass Effect. It has a really deep narrative, a big world to explore. Uh, but I would think the, the most important thing about it is that your choices matter. So at the, uh, all of the missions are handcrafted. They're not procedurally generated. And so at the beginning of the game, you are asked to align yourself with an ideology. And that sets things into motion as far as which missions you see and how the story is unveiled in what order. You have to play the game more than once to see it all. It's probably a 12 to 16 hour uh, each playthrough. And uh, you have eight different factions or companions you can select from. And depending on the combination, all with unique skills, come from unique worlds, uh, different ways of fighting, different, um, just the way they approach things. For example, we have an assassin type. We have someone who's all about science. We have a much more elemental type fighter. Uh, And so they come together and change each other's abilities and skills and amplify each other. And then overlaid on top of that is the idea of the sixth vowel, which which is where the studio got its name. Uh, it's not exactly a magic or a technology. It's sort of humanity's self-actualization um, to unlock the ability to shift time and space. And you can use that for good or you can use that for evil. And so there's a great depth of variety and a lot of complexity. The controls themselves are, are pretty intuitive, but there's a lot of depth in, in the complexity of all the variables of combat. So it keeps you coming back for the combat. and. Um, the IP was so big that we've actually already got the second and third installments in design so that we could unveil the entire world. Okay, and um, it's available for PC, is it? Currently PC and we're looking at console. Okay. And again, it's in uh, pre-order right now okay. for a special price of nineteen ninety nine. Okay. And then uh, we will release uh, in a few weeks actually uh, at twenty four ninety nine. Okay. Okay. And so uh, that's that's element space. Then we have Shadow Brawlers, the four player, right, which right. we mentioned uh, from Team Wazoo. And so that, is that like a split screen or is that no? It's all it's like a party game where you're all four together. Uh, okay. One of the reasons that we've decided to hold that until Q1 of next year is we really want to be able to launch it on the Switch at the same time that we launch it at the PC because it just feels like it's made to be such a good Switch game. Mm-hmm. And the challenge that we had is that Argentina was not an approved region yet for the Switch. Oh, okay. And um, so we have been in conversation since March trying to get our development kits. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just now changing because they're in process and we are expecting our dev kits in the next 
four weeks or so. And so um, we, in that meantime, we had the team move it all over to Unity. So currently all three of these games are on the Unity engine. Uh, we had them build in a single player game as well. And so you start out in these four corners and you come together and what's really unique about it is it has a very distinctive art style. It's inspired somewhat by one episode that they saw of Samurai Jack because the team, their background is predominantly art and animation. Mm -hmm. They've done a lot of outsource work for Cartoon Network and things like that. And so um, this is their first professional game. They've done a lot of hobbyist games, but they were all on the side or two to three month projects. This is their first where they could quit their jobs, focus entirely on this, work for this long, and work collaboratively in one development environment, and they're having the time of their lives. Awesome. <laughs> and awesome. so, um, but it has this very distinctive art style, and you're essentially these four kind of cute ninja characters that can disappear into the shadows and sneak up on their opponents and strike out at them and then disappear again. And so... Um, is that on the floor? or is it, was not, uh, it was out on part of the night games last night, mm -hmm. but I do have code that I can also get you to show you that. All right, sounds good. And so that is... Uh, we'll be going into pre-sale soon on that, but that one comes Q1. Okay. And then uh, the third game is, as I said, we have a classic point-and-click graphic adventure called Tango the Adventure Game. Mm-hmm. We stretched for the title on that one. <laughs> and again, the team, mo it's a four-person team. Uh, predominantly art and animation is their background, but one of the team members has an advanced degree in music with a specialty in tango. And they knew they wanted to do a, mu a music-focused game. Their um, inspirations have been like Telltale and um, LucasArts and some of the classic adventure games. And so... Um, Basically, it's a little bit shorter game. It's about six hours. It is very loosely based on Carlos Gardel, who's the most famous tango artist that ever lived. He was an actor and singer. Um, if you are familiar with the song, uh, Por Una Cabeza, which is the tango song that you hear in True Lies or Scent of a Woman, uh, it's probably the most famous tango song there is. That is one of Carlos Gardel's songs. And um, unfortunately, his life was was cut short pretty early on, but he changed the tango from being, or is often credited with changing the tango from being kind of music of, I guess, low society into a high society. And there's an entire culture that was built up around the tango, um, particularly in the 1930s Buenos Aires, which is a very colorful time in Argentina and in Buenos Aires. Uh, you had the Argentine mafia and a lot of other things going on. So. Um, Anyway, we use that as a backdrop. You start with Carlos in prison, and he has to break out of prison, and then he lives, or the story is unfolded in uh, flashbacks. Hmm. And he has to achieve certain things, to, and he will be gifted the greatest song, tango song ever. And so throughout the gameplay, you also learn little tidbits about Argentine words and a bits about 1930s. Uh, Buenos Aires and a bit about Carlos Gardel and a lot of the puzzles include lyrics from his songs or titles from his songs, movies he was in and other things that were part of the culture in 1930s Buenos Aires. So that one is PC, that one's also in pre-sale, will be out before the end of the year, uh, will end up being $9.99 and currently on pre-sale for $6.99. Okay, sounds good. Um, so. Not to put you on the spot or anything, mm -hmm. but uh, so what is your gaming background? My gaming background. 
So I was the founding editor-in-chief of Game Informer. Okay. Many, many years ago. Most people don't remember it was actually started by a girl. <laughs> and so um, I ran Game Informer as the founding editor for about four years. Uh, and then I left to go to um, uh, Virgin Interactive kind of during its height of wealth and power. So I launched Command and & Conquer and Lion King and a number of titles there. Uh, from there I went to a, bounced around to a couple other different companies. I worked, uh, for example, at Cyber Dreams doing I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream and Darkseed. I uh, went to a smaller company that did a lot of edutainment games that were based on Hollywood licenses called SoundSource. Worked for Panasonic Interactive uh, over all three of their publishing labels. Uh, went back when they were doing, um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of some of the games that we did at the time. It was after Postal. Um, Spec Ops was probably our biggest game during that time period. Uh, and then I went to 3DO and I was a global brand manager on Army Men and a couple and a few of their other brands. I took some time to go work at companies like Adobe and stuff as a global brand manager and then decided to go to an agency where I could work on everything from middleware to, so I worked with mental images, I worked with a lot of the different game engines, I helped relaunch Tomb Raider. Um, I started my own consultancy in 09 and I've worked on everything from the technology that uh, became the Kinect for Microsoft to Never Alone, the Alaska native game, the Inipowit game. I launched that, Plants vs. Zombies 2. I work with AR client, comp, uh, game developers, VR game developers, uh, social casino, uh, crypto and Bitcoin, <laughs> um, kind of across the board, but my, my heart has always been with the indies. Okay, all right. So, and I do marketing, PR, business development, thought leadership, help people, uh, my clients find uh, co-publishers, but when I met the team at Inca, they are so smart, and I love the idea of being able to, you know, after being in the games industry for only almost 30 years, the idea of opening up an entire emerging market. So currently, Latin America is 4% of the market, but it's the fastest growing segment of the entire global games market, and Argentina as a country was just named an emerging market in March across you know, tech industries and things like that. Netflix and a lot of other companies have recently gone down there. And so, to me, that's exciting because I always want to leave the game industry, I think, better than I found it initially. And so, if my legacy is opening up a new market or, um, you know, being able to work with uh, leadership for diversity and things like that, those are all kind of passion projects for me. Okay. What what kind of games do you do for fun? Or what kind of gaming? I tend to play indies. Um, I don't have, you know, I love some of these other games. I really do. The problem is when you are juggling a bunch of clients and so much of your creative energy and time goes into it, I don't get to sit down and do a lot of long play, long session games. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I really enjoy the indie games. Um, I enjoy a short session, a little. So I like platformers, and I like mm -hmm. things like Joggernauts, which just came out this week, which is another four-player local game that's a lot of fun out of Minneapolis. Okay. Um, I like most of the stuff that like Robin Hunicky does because I like just being able to think outside the box. There's several games here that to me are, are really wonderful and original. There's um, I like narrative games, so there's a fun game here that's sort of a satirical look at Jane Austen. Um, so there's called Austin Translation, 
which is kind of fun. Um, worked with One More Story Games out of Toronto, which is, um, they have an engine that helps storytellers more easily create interactive games from them, and they are working with Charlene Harris on one of uh, her books and bringing that out as a, as a game. Oh, wow. So, and nice. it's a particular story where their main character, it's Shakespeare's landlord, and it's, um, your main character has gone through an assault okay. and carries those scars. And so one of the things that's been really interesting about that is how games can build empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the reasons I loved Never Alone is you learned a lot about the Anipawit people. It was a beautiful game. I loved that it was a two-player cooperative game. So I was watching siblings play together and boyfriend-girlfriend play together and parent-child play together. And there was a real joy in that. And I thought that the way they handled uh, adding the culture into the game was um, elegantly done. And for me, the fact that it, they left it in the Anipawit and the language almost became a character of the game. So I look for things like that. Okay, cool. Um, I was going to ask, uh, do, you, have you, do you play any board games or uh, CCGs or anything like that? I don't play a lot of them just because... Time. Embarrassing to say, no, I live alone. Oh, okay. okay. And um, I work a lot, and so, and I can't train my cat to play games with me. I yet. understand. <laughs> and so, that's that, which is bed. unfortunate. That's just a bed to the cat. Yeah, yeah. right? I know. If La Femme Kitty would just get on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I do, like, when I'm out with friends and stuff, uh, for example, I also a sommelier, so I go to the Wine Bloggers Conference, mm-hmm. and I always bring Cards Against Humanity. Um, for example, but um, and when we first launched, uh, I have a client, Happy Giant AR, and they did Hollow Grid Monster Battle, which was inspired by the hollow chest scene mm-hmm. in Star Wars. And they actually worked with Phil Tippett and rotoscoped his monsters and things like that. And they actually created the rules because in that scene there were no rules to hollow chest, right. so they had to create a game. And we started as a physical product that you use that as the markers. Mm-hmm. To, um, to bring into AR. And then as we got new platforms, we could go markerless. So we put out a Tango version, we put out a markerless iOS and Android version. We were one of the first on AR Kit and AR Core. Uh, we did a HoloLens version. And he's gone on to do um, other AR games using some of the new cutting edge like persistent and multiplayer AR. Okay. So. Cool. I can't think of anything else. Um, you have any questions for me or anything you'd so like to say? So tell me a little bit about your average, um, because now you guys are also associated with a store. Is Did I read that correctly? or? Uh, so we're not, no. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, we started out as a store, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to um, create a, I noticed that there were some magazines out there, and mm-hmm. that those magazines um, like for instance, Alliance has a magazine. Oh, okay. And I was like, this would be great because it would drive sales. It was sure. It's a different way of. That's doing how things. Game Informer was started because we had Funko Land, right. which are now GameStops. And then I decided that I was going to do something different, though, mm-hmm. is I wasn't going to tell people to buy things that would just help me. I was going to actually be real. Yeah. And so I started going be. and finding out information mm-hmm. and. And uh, so that's kind of how Gaming Fix came to be. We did um, a TV show oh, wow, okay. for a while when, uh, back in the day when like Comcast mm-hmm. used to have to have mm-hmm. um, public broadcasting. Correct. 
So we had the public broadcasting, and then we did um, a radio show for a number of, I want to say, well, about a year. Okay. And so then I started, I uh, wanted to do something. I had the uh, internet site up still, but I wanted to do something. So I started podcasting um, mm-hmm. because it was weird. I was like, well, why am I, why is this not podcasting when before I had video and I was putting it available separate it doesn't seem like it's that big of a difference but I listened to a lot of podcasts kind of figured out kind of the difference or mm-hmm. what and uh, we did po- we did uh, five podcasts and I said okay cool we're ready to roll and so now we're at like about 23 with everything okay. going on and then we also bounce it through the radio at okay. uh, WPMD all right on uh, at uh, College so oh okay yeah very cool because um, I used to live down here, and you know I have friends that are teachers now at some of the games programs okay. uh, down here, and so that that's very interesting. Now, did I read correctly um, that you guys also like to talk about you know games and society and games and culture and that sort of thing? Yeah. Have you ever had an opportunity to go um, to Rochester, New York? Uh, I've been to New York, but never to okay. Rochester. So, should you ever find yourself in Rochester, New York? There is, well, they call it the Strong now, but it was called the Strong Museum of Play. Mm-hmm. And it houses the International Center for the History of Electronic Games. They're an amazing team. It's the only museum in the world that looks at the history of play, uh, how we play, how that affects how we work and interact, mm-hmm. um, and how we learn. And so they have the Brian Sutton Smith Library of Play. They are archivists, they do interpretive stuff, they have stuff on exhibit. They house the um, Toy Hall of Fame and the Video Game Hall of Fame. And so they'll do a very cool, like one of the exhibits they're working on right now that they haven't uh, opened yet is like women in gaming. Mm -hmm. But they look holistically at gaming, the publications along with it, the tchotchkes and things. Like I sent them old press kits and marketing plans and they have design notes and they have all of this stuff um, and put together really interesting exhibits because again they're interested in gaming and its effect on culture and again okay. on how we learn and everything so should you ever find yourself in oh, Rochester, sure. New York be sure to stop by we do a lot um, in uh, live action role playing and okay. I was actually working and still am on an educational LARP system oh so. that'd be great well I'm coming from Minnesota mm-hmm. and this will show my age um, so Oregon Trail was actually created by an assistant, uh, a um, student teacher, to play with his students, and was picked up by the Minnesota Education Board. And I was one of the first, or I, my middle school that I went to was one of the first schools to get terminals when it very first came out. And it was back when it had the paper with the little holes and mm-hmm. no no imagery or anything like that, other than you'd get the little X's that showed you the, the beginning, the wagon. Um, and I would go in and play Oregon Trail, and which I loved. The problem was I was told that guys didn't like girls who played games, hmm. and I didn't have anyone in my life that played computers or worked in computers or anything like that, and I wasn't welcomed in the computer lab very much, and so mm-hmm. I walked away from that and went the fine art direction. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I fell into the industry in what became Funko Land and Game Informer, that I changed, you know, completely, and which is why I'm also a huge advocate for STEM and STEAM and girls make games oh, sure, and things sure. like that. So, all right, 
Great. Thank, thank you, you for your you time. You probably got it's way more really cool. than you asked. So. No, it's great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And let me get you my card. Okay. And I will have code soon on everything, so. Sounds good. And uh, so I'm here with Rob Cho. And um, Rob Chu. Rob Chu, sorry. No sorry about that. No, you're all good. Okay. And uh, you are, you're one of the co-developers of Rival Restaurants? I'm the, I'm the main one. We have you're a team, okay. uh, but I'm the, I'm the one who started it. Um, back when I was in college, seven okay. years ago. All right. And then how did, and um, so how long have you been in, in uh, games? Uh, like making games or just playing just, games? Just playing games. Yeah. Making games. Then I'd say 20, uh, 24 years. Mm -hmm. um, been loving them ever since I knew they existed. Okay. And your, um, and this, this is your first uh Time designing this game. Yeah, this well, uh, this is our first time designing a, a board game. Um, I've been ever since I was little. When my family would get together, I would organize all kinds of games for our family get-togethers. Uh, all kinds of like crazy versions of Pictionary party games. We'd make Mario Party come to life. Um, all kinds of different stuff. But um, I've been doing uh, for my church groups. I've, I've been running large group games. Um, but this is our first time making a real-life board game. I made some when I was a kid, but this is the only real one. Oh, you have made some as a kid. Do you, uh, are those next in your list? Um, uh, those, I mean, I made some when I was, like, you know, in elementary school and things uh, like that. Things oh, that, you know. So, so not necessarily then. Yeah. But um, we do plan on, after releasing Ravel Restaurants um, and accompanying expansion packs, we hope to bring in, casu uh, like, a casual game and then another big game and another casual game and a big game. So we do definitely hope to make more games and we have more ideas in the lab. Uh, but this is the only game. This is our first game that we're bringing out to the public. Okay. Well, you said that you uh, you're a fan of games. What what games uh, do you really like as far as uh, video or board games? Yeah. So my favorite video games include uh, so many of them. But uh, I would say right now God of War Four, um, League of Legends. Um, I really like Horizon Zero Dawn, an amazing game. Um, definitely appreciate the ingenuity of the all the Lego games. My wife and I my wife and I are playing through Harry Potter Lego. Um, Lego's a fun game. Yeah, I yeah. like it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you get to build things while having to like put away little pieces. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Overcooked. Mm -hmm. uh, ours is a cooking game. Um, yeah, Digimon World. I'm a sucker for it back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, for board games, Seven Wonders, um, Zombicide, Black Plague. Um, there's a uh, good Kickstarter game I really like called Shadow Rift. It's a lesser known game. Um, I like Steam Time, Deception, Murder at Hong Kong, and Winter's Tale. So a good mix of games. Anything that's unique, strategy, that's not one-dimensional. Oh, really like Kings of Tokyo as well. Oh, so. okay. Um, I hate to put you on the spot, but like no, as far as the games that are uh, here that are up for nomination, which, which ones really spoke to you or did you feel like you, know, you would be definitely interested in? Yeah. Um, in truth, I didn't have a lot of time to get through the nominees because I've been... Uh, busy uh, networking and meeting with people, um, mm -hmm. but the few, um, so indie games are definitely different from like, you know, what we, what we might call a mainstream game. Uh, there was one game, I think it was called, I hope I'm not ruining this guy's name, I think it's called Long Distance, it was kind of cool, it was a, a, a two-player co-op platform where you, two platformer where you need to help each other, but you can't see each other's uh, screens, um, and you can't see what each other's doing. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it's almost like a variation of Battleship, but like 
Working together, yeah. yeah some, working together. Yeah, kind of like that. And it kind of yeah, reminded yeah. me of like a, if you remember the like the Sega Genesis side-scrolling platform Rayman type thing. Okay. Um, a little bit of that. Um, so I didn't unfortunately get to play too many games. I was I've been busy meeting with people, but um, I saw a cool game that uh, another board game that was called Stress Express. I didn't get to play it, but it was kind of a, I, it was a, a game where you're I guess a, a employee in a company you're trying to balance. I think it's a multitasking or a game where you're just trying to deal with stress and try to be the best employee in your company. So it looked like a like kind of a, a cute concept. That's an interesting concept as far as you know. Like uh, a lot of times, you know, when people are playing games, they're trying to escape. That's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm kind of going back to the world where most people don't want to be. Right, exactly. But here we go. And there you are. So Yeah. Um, trying to think. Uh, so like, um, so like, ultimately, do you want to be a game designer, or do you see yourself as doing other things? And this is something that you're doing at the moment, or? Uh, no, for me, I mean, this is a hobby. Um, mm -hmm. This is, uh, I thought it'd always be cool to make games, uh, and so I'm glad to be here, um, putting forth our game and kind of seeing where it goes. Um, everyone on my team, um, we have, we all have day jobs. I mean. Uh, I, I don't want to put aside what I normally do um, to do board games, but I'd love to make more board games. Uh, I know some of my uh, team members uh, would, I, I know at least one would be interested potentially in, you know, making this a thing. But for me, this is just a hobby that I began in college and, well, never thought I'd get this far, but here we are with a game that is ready to go on shelves. Uh, I'm just looking to uh, just get a publisher and uh, move, it out to, uh, move, move it through the door. So. so would you say that, I know it's a resource game, but we, we were talking um, yesterday on the podcast about, or this week on the podcast about uh, like resource games and uh, Euro games versus Ameritrash mm -hmm. games. And what, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on like where your game lands according to those definitions? Uh, could you define what you mean by Ameritrash? I know that's kind of used. I, I honestly don't know. Um, we were talking about it. We, you know, there's people that they seem to use it. It, you know, a lot of times negative terms like that tend to be just like, I don't like that, so I'm just going to say this really negative thing, and I don't uh -huh. really have a definition for yeah. it. So, yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah, I get you. Um, so, so, to back up your question is, so what I, I think I, of, so how, do our, is how do our game compare to other games? Or, or how does it compare to, like, a, to, you know, like a Euro game? Like, um, sure. Got it. Um, so, when... I'm going to take a moment to define what, at least in my mind, is more or less a Euro game. Like, in my mind, a Euro game tends to be games um, that are heavily resource management based. Um, generally, uh, art that is uh, generally not necessarily amazing, but, like, you know, it does the job and it is nice to look at. Um, generally not the, th the, com the connection between the mechanic, so how the game plays, and the theme, meaning, like, whether it's about knights or soldiers, not always a very strong connection. Sometimes it's like a lot of Euro games can boil down to move green blocks to and trade them in for red blocks, whether they're soldiers or pieces of pizza. It doesn't really necessarily strongly affect the mechanic. So that's a critique for me of many Euro games, but that's certainly not the true of all of them. For our game, we basically wanted to be as far, well, I don't want to say as far, but we definitely wanted to set ourselves apart from Euro games. Uh, again, nothing against that, but we really wanted it to feel like, we didn't want you to have to hold wooden blocks that are like, what does this red block represent? Oh, that's right, it's a it's a nuclear bomb, these green blocks are wizards. Um, we wanted to be really clear. So every piece of, in 
uh, component of our game is a piece of artwork, in a sense. Um, when you pick up, when you, in our game, you look for ingredients. So when you look for a piece of shrimp, it's not a red block. It's an actual piece. It's, or it's a card with a piece of shrimp. If you're looking for garlic, it's a card that looks like garlic. So um, one of the first things that makes us a little different uh, is that everything, uh, everything from the beginning of the game is built on the foundation of the theme, which is competitive restaurant owning. Um, and so we tried to abandon as many, as much as we could, um, usual mechanisms. And we, we wanted to say, what would it look like to really simulate this game? And we built the game from the ground up with the understanding of we want to simulate restaurant owning. Um, and that's why one of the things that's unique about our game is, I know in most games you have to wait for your turn. In this game, waiting for your turn is a thing of the past. And our, one of our slogans is, because in the restaurant business, time waits for no one. So it's always your turn, it's really fast paced. Uh, most turns, you, one person does move, buy, sell, attack, the next person does move, buy, sell, attack. But in our game, our game, everyone moves, and then everyone buys, and then everyone sells. And the way we make that work is it's a time-based, simultaneous, real-time game, which is a mouthful. But um, yeah, that's a nutshell. Okay. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for ha uh, getting even the opportunity to hang out with you and talk to you. Um, yeah, I'd say that uh, if you're looking for a, a game to buy that's different, uh, uh, I definitely uh, would encourage you guys to just take a look at Ravel Restaurants. It's the first game made by Gap Closer. Um, and um, the hope of our games is to have games that just put people together. We want to close the gap between people. We want people in a world that's increasingly screen-oriented uh, to have an opportunity to talk to real humans face-to-face, -to, -face, to play games, we're hoping that we can be a game that adults and uh, like older children can play with each other, that they have something they can laugh about. Um, a game where you and I can, I can trade my shrimp for your chicken, and then after, that afterwards I'll hit you with my ninjas, and you backstab me by contaminating my food, and we just have a good laugh about it. Um, so yeah, we're really excited, and we hope that, uh, yeah, we hope that we might be able to offer something that's just a little bit different, um, and something that at least people can enjoy. And when is the game going to be available for people to pick up, or is it going to be on Kickstarter, or how are you? Yeah, so we pretty much just went kind of public very recently. You can check out our website at uh, rivalrestaurants.com. Um, you can subscribe to our page. You can check out our Twitter and our Facebook and things like that. Um, but right now, we are uh, hoping to look for a publisher, so uh, we're open to all. So if you're a publisher out there, we're definitely glad to talk to you. Um, we are looking to potentially Kickstarter as well, um, but uh, we're just kind of getting started our game is done so we're just kind of now trying to go out to the public and say hey do you like are, are, is this something you'd like and if so um, trying to get a following and then hopefully trying to get someone who will handle the business component for us all right well thanks for uh, coming and talking to me and that was uh, Rob Cho thanks thanks Out of nowhere, lightning fast, and they kicked Chuck Norris in his cowboy ass. It was the bloodiest battle that the world ever saw. With civilians looking on a total law. The fire raged on for a century, many lives were claimed, but eventually the champions stood. The rest saw the better. Mr. Rogers in a bloodstained sweater. This is the ultimate showdown. Ultimate destiny. Good guys, bad guys, and explosions. As far as the eye can see, and only one will survive. I wonder who it was.